I just knew that I wasn't being treated fairly. And I was working for a bunch of misogynists. And I was just like, I'm done. And even as I wanted to move forward, being a buyer, I was like, I need more. And the guy that was the uh, senior vice president basically said to me, women don't move as quickly as men. And I was like, fuck you. And that was the end. Hey, and welcome to the Role Models Podcast. I'm David Noel. Role Models is a series of conversations with inspiring people. We capture and share the stories and career paths of the people we look up to, how they got to where they are, the lessons learned along the way, the decisions they made, and the challenges they've tackled. My guest in this episode is Joanne Wilson. As a full-time angel investor, Joanne has invested in over 100 companies and focuses on businesses founded by women. She's been blogging over 10 years, raised three kids, and recently started a podcast called Positively Gotham Girl. Joanne and I discuss her career path, how she became an angel investor, and what she learned from being a board member. This is the Role Models Podcast. I'm David Noel, and this is Episode 3 with Joanne Wilson. Joanne Wilson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. This is uh, very exciting to me because um, you are the uh, third guest on the podcast of the Role Models podcast. Mm -hmm. And you were also the third guest of our live event series that we started in Berlin two years ago. I was the third. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. That was um, a great event. It was a great event. It's still going. Uh, We have uh, events lined up for almost every month this year. And uh, it's going great. And now we're expanding with this podcast. So I really appreciate your time and your support early on in the project, both from the event series and the podcast. So thanks for being on the show. I'm happy to be here. Cool, Joanne, one of the things that uh, you're known for many, many different things, and we'll go into it uh, during the course of this conversation. The one thing that I was thinking about walking over here was, where do you get all this energy from? (laughs) That is a very good question. You know, I just think I was born that way. Mm -hmm. I've always had like insane amount of energy. You know when they ask people like, are you better in the morning? Are you better in the evening? It's just like I get up, I go, and then I go to sleep. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I just have – also, I think I have a tremendous passion for life. Like carpe diem every day, like take it all in. It's just like I can't do enough. Is this – so I think it's a good way to go back then. Is this something – that you were always like when you're growing up? Like, talk, talk a little bit about where you grew up and uh, and what your childhood was like. We moved a couple times when I was a kid. Um, you know, but my first, my first lemonade stand, I was like three and sold the puppies, you know, as, at the same time. I mean, so I've always been focused on business. Um, I mean, someone even said to me yesterday, I was saying something, She's like, God, you're always thinking business. I was like, yeah. I would sit in a um, a spin class, and I would literally count all the chairs, multiply it out, and figure out like how much they're making a day, a week, per instructor. Because I just like that's how I operate. Is this something someone taught you, or no? Definitely not. Oh wow. No. What would you say your uh, were your earliest childhood um, influences that led and shaped um, who you are today? You know, more than likely, 
having my parents go through an absolutely miserable, awful divorce completely shaped who I am today. Mm. I think that... How old were you then? I was 15, 16. Um, you know, 15, and then all of a sudden I could drive, and I was completely mobile. And um, I probably went into a survivor mode. It wasn't like there was this soft, mushy nest at home for me that was um, nurturing me in my education or my desires or what I thought I could do with my life. It was more like, you're on your fucking own. And, um, and I kind of must have known that. And I think I was asked to do a lot of things my siblings weren't because I was the oldest. I was more privy to things that I should never have been privy to at that age or asked to do at that age. Um, What's an example for that? You know, like just, you know, there was, there was fights. I was put in the middle of like getting money. Um, you know, uh, just I, in my way, whether, you know, it was or it wasn't, I felt like I needed to step into the role as a parent because there wasn't any parental supervision there. And so um, I think that that probably catapulted me into where I am today because I never wanted to be in the position again where there was no money, um, there was no one taking care of anything, and I knew I had to take care of myself. Yeah, it sounds like the sense of responsibility and the sense of getting things done uh, was shaped shaped early on in that in that experience. Yeah, completely. So, um, help our listeners understand how you got from that um, shape profound experience to uh, to your first foray into into uh, into business into your career. Yeah, I mean, I I decided to go to this college. I went to Simmons College, an all women's college. Um, because I ha- I knew in my gut that I was going to be responsible for myself. I knew that when I graduated there that I would have a job when I graduated. And although it wasn't the right place for me in terms of a social life, um, I even walked out of that college really, I don't talk to anyone from that school anymore, um, is that I knew that I would get to where I needed to be through that school, right? Instead of going to a place where, I could have read amazing books and met great people and had a party time. Like, I knew this is where I needed to go. When you went to school, did you know where you were going afterwards? Did you have an idea? Oh, yeah. Or was it shaped? I totally shaped. shaped. Actually, my mom's friend said to me, you should go into retail. You'd be great at it. And I was like, okay, great. I've got a path, right? And I had worked in retail stores and and stuff like that when I was younger. And um, and so I was this retail finance major. And they had a path. Like, when I graduated, I had a job and I had a diploma, and I had a date that I was going to start, and um, I was making money, and I thought I was going to take over the world. Like, I did not need to rely on anybody. And um, was this your first job, or did you have, you know how we, growing up, we have, you know, all these this collection of different jobs that oh, we have that yes. we now go back and look at, this was the worst job. What was the best worst job that you've had? I had such a collection of jobs. Um, I taught guitar lessons. I ran a plant store. I was a camp counselor. I my best job, and it was not a worse job, was I taught sports to kids when I was in high school, in junior high school and elementary school at the Montgomery County Recreation Department. And I also ran the back end office for this guy Ed Phones. And um, so I knew where all the programs were, what was going on. All the parents would send in their checks and all their information. And I literally 
cleaned up the entire op- office and made it like run super efficient. And all you also coach sports to these kids. It was a phenomenal opportunity and such a great job. Um, and you know, you sort of give this connection to these kids, right? So I think that's continued on in my career. You know, you can, can think about my children and also my companies and all the entrepreneurs. Like you, there is this. Um, innate um, sort of motherhood kind of role that you play. Very nurturing. Very, very nurturing. So that started in the earlier days. And then I, you know, in Boston, and I worked in a, uh, I was a security, uh, I had a security clearance and I worked in an engineering firm um, in uh, college and gave out government documents that had to be worked on. I worked in a uh, engineering firm outside of Boston that um, built nuclear warheads, and I mowed the lawns. It was an amazing job. Actually, it was one of my all-time favorite jobs because I'd gotten the job through my father because he was an engineer and knew the head of the company, and I didn't want to work internally, like giving mail to people. I was like, do you have a grounds crew? And they're like, sure. And they put me on this grounds crew. I was one of two females, and um, all the men that work there and their sons, basically, who were first-generation kids going to college. And, um, you know, these guys, they got their check on Friday. They went to the bar. And it was, like, this amazing experience. And they were always very, like, well, she, these are the lawns we mow, you know. And one day I was walking by this hill, and I saw it hadn't been mowed, so I mowed it. And then at the end of the day, we would always kind of regroup before everyone leave. And we left early at like three. And some, the guy that runs it, like, who mowed that lawn? And I was like, oh, oh, I did. He's like, oh, my God, that is not for you to mow. It was like this big, brawny college guy. Like, that was his lawn, you know? And after that, everyone respected me. <laughs> so taking initiative was the, was the learning of that experience. Exactly. Nice. Um, your first, then after college, your first job was in... Uh, in uh, retail yeah yeah talk a bit about that so that was a great experience i mean unfortunately um macy's doesn't run like that anymore but what's really great about that is it essentially is a pyramid scheme right because you come in at one level you go through a training program they place you in um a store as a store manager then you work that job you have reviews and then once you hit the right review usually a year plus I got promoted much earlier, you get promoted to the next job, which is an assistant buyer. Then that happens again, you go to the next job, you're assistant store manager. Then that happens again, and you become a buyer. I became a buyer in less than four years. Um, and Was that right? One, two, three? No, in l- less than three years. And um, I became a buyer, and after a year, I'm like, okay, this is super boring, what's next? And it was like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, you're a buyer, buyer for years. And I was just like, oh, my God. So they get rid of people as you move up the pyramid. Um, But also for me, I was always ready for the next and next and next because I learned it, I got it, and I was ready for number two. And that wasn't happening there. But it was an amazing experience that I still carry with me today because I learned about people. I learned about management. I learned about inventories. I learned about margins. I learned about um, uh, returns. I learned about um, stock. Um, I mean, all the things that are the foundations of a business. Yeah, foundational skills. Yeah. yeah. What would you say um, in those areas, uh, stock, margins, uh, people, 
management. What what is the one thing that shaped you most at that at that uh, in that first first career step in this first milestone? Management. Management. The importance of management and relationships with your team and the people you're working with. You know, I always have believed that you can have an incredible product and a shitty team and a bad management and the company will fail. You can have amazing management and great teams and a shitty product and you could be a hundred million dollar business. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great uh, management and people. Yeah. Yeah. And then what's next? Um, so I did that. So you did those those three years. You I were did ready those for three the next, years. So it was the, the end of my thing. fourth year. End of my fourth year as a buyer, Campo came into the market and everything changed. You know, they made they made the company took the company private. Um, they changed everything because they took on so much debt. They, you know, became micromanagers. I mean, it was a it was a shit show. And I was like, I'm so out of here. And I knew enough to be dangerous because my husband, Fred, had just graduated from graduate school and was starting in the venture capital world. So when this happened, my first question was like, well, how much stock do I get? And I'm like, nothing. I'm thinking, I'm not working 80 hours a week for you all to make money when you decide to turn this company around again and make it public. Like, I'm what you're building the company on. So I walked out the door. How did you know that you were dangerous? What's the process like? How do you find out I can be dangerous? I don't know. I just knew that I wasn't being treated fairly. And I was working for a bunch of misogynists. And I was just like, I'm done. And even as I wanted to move forward being a buyer, I was like, I need more. And the guy that was the uh, senior vice president basically said to me, women don't move as quickly as men. And I was like, fuck you. And that was the end. And so I went to the other side, and I um, went through a series of jobs in the manufacturing side. So I started working for one company purely in sales, knowing that without sales, you know, I needed to understand how to sell this business, sell these products. And, um, you know, after a couple months, really 10 months in, I was just like, okay, was, I got it. Um, and then I went to work for a woman who was the most miserable human being, but I learned the back end of the business, which is why I took the job there. So I really learned how to manufacture a garment. And then I went to work for this guy who, you know, was a little flaky, um, had a little business, and he was just a nice guy. And he basically let me run his business. And I built his business over, I don't know, a couple years from like a million to $15 million dollars. And um, hired a team and had designers. And, you know, he he just was a terrible operator. And in the end, I left. And I went through a couple other jobs in the garment center. I'd had kids then. I had this thing in my head that I needed to, you know, I didn't want to not be present in my kid's life. That was the most important thing in the world to me. And my concern is if I started my own business, I would be a 24-7 business person. And I would not be a good parent. And I did not want to do that. And so I ended up leaving the industry and staying home for a couple of years after that. And um, it was probably the best thing I ever did. Why? I think that for me, it was value in pulling back and um, spending time with my family and um, when my kids were super young and, um, and then figuring out what I wanted to do next. Did you know you wanted to go back and work? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you saw that more as a, as a time-boxed, 
It's a time uh, box. phase yeah. to say, okay, this is this is what my focus is now, but I also know that my focus is going to change. I knew in a few years. Yeah, in the back of my head, I always knew. Yeah. I mean, at one point, then we had a third kid, and I was just like, okay, this is great, but I just can't. I can't do this all day long anymore. And um, and then I went to work in the tech industry, and I also because of those kids you know which was again the most important thing in my life and i think of everything i've ever done in my life i think being a mother is the best thing i've ever done is um i wanted to create a life for myself that allowed me to make money be involved with super smart people and building businesses but have complete flexibility on i can do what i need to do when i need to do it and that's kind of what I created for myself. And that the tech industry was the starting ground for that, or yeah, the tech industry yeah. was starting for that. You know, I yeah, it this really was, was in uh, two thousand six. This was in no earlier, earlier in the, in, the, in the first phase of the internet. Yeah, right? yeah no, yeah. no, no. This was in the mid nineties. Mid nineties. Yeah, 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 like ninety five, mm-hmm. ninety four. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, talk a bit about that experience because the tech industry today is very different. It than is. the one it used to be. Uh, I think it's called the first wave internet. Or yeah, 1.0. 1.0. Yeah, yeah, they can call it whatever they want. <laughs> you know, what was different about that time period is multiple things. One is everyone knew there was something there. And so all these people jumped into this internet and built these businesses because everyone believed there's something going to happen here, right? But the majority of them didn't grow up with technology or in computers. And so they were just kind of like shoving circles into squares. Whereas the next generation, they all grew up with that stuff. So they were taking technology and building companies that were integrated into our lives. Big difference. Um, so that was the number one thing. I was involved in the media side. So we were writing about all these companies. Um, and I had pure flexibility. And it was great. But what's interesting is that the pace in 1.0 is no different than the pace now. And it was like one day was like a year, you know. And and so, you, you know, if you, if you dropped out of something for a week, you know, you feel like you, you miss so much, like you got to get back in. And I, I think that that pace has its positives and its negatives. And I'm glad to see that our industry is speaking more about wellness and taking care of ourselves and taking time out to breathe um because when you when you have your head in the weeds like that all the time i actually think you're not as good at building your company do you have because you you have many different interests and passions that you pursue and uh roles you play in different people's lives and um do you have a practice to slow down and to unwind i wish i could tell you (laughs) not as much as i should um you know Saturday mornings, I read the paper from front to back. Actually, I read the New York Times from front to back every single day, and I do the crossword. That is definitely one of my entertainments, enjoyments, and I, I, I like on Saturday morning, I will sit on the couch, I get my Sunday crossword on Saturday, and I will do the Saturday crossword and the Sunday crossword, and that is all I'm focusing on for a couple hours, and that is incredibly cathartic to me. I think when I kids were younger, I did a lot of cooking, more then than now because I don't have to come up with a meal, you know, <laughs> multiple times a week, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm, I miss that. I always find that extremely um, 
sort of you have to you're in your own head and i think that's a good thing the time in the first wave internet um how how do you bridge that between the mid 90s and um into maybe 2007 where i think you did your first angel investment which you're now now do you identify now mostly as an angel investor or how, or how do you introduce yourself to people it's always a good question of multiple things um yeah i mean i consider myself a full-time investor you know i mean i i run essentially i run a family office right we're investing our own capital and it is a full-time job and um i don't give away money lightly i um i give money to places and people that i believe that we will have returns on their investment and um and i only want the best for the entrepreneur um which i think comes back to me in spades yeah um what's the what was this evolution like from from your experience in media and the first tech wave to today um Walk us a bit through this this evolution. Well, you know, I I was involved in this tech industry, um, Silicon Alley reporter in the early days, built the business up to be substantial, um, and um, had an opportunity to sell it. Jason didn't want to sell it. I left, and we all know what happened to the industry, and Silicon Alley reporter. And then I went to chair an organization that still exists today, Mouse, um, coming on its 20th anniversary event in a couple weeks. What's the organization about? Um, you know, originally it's called Making Opportunities and Upgrading Schools in Education, where we originally climbed through ceilings to wire schools. Obviously, that's not necessary anymore. But what we really do is create programs in elementaries, junior high schools and high schools, where we um, run the IT programs. And so children are the IT people for the school, which creates leadership, and it's a win-win for everybody. Um, and so it's here now 20 years. I'm sure they're doing more things than that, but that was the main focus that we thought was the right thing to do. Um, and so I um, I stayed home again for a couple of years, and then I started blogging, and blogging turned into um, a lot of people reaching out to me, which I still get today. And um, I was watching The Next Generation of the Web. I saw Curb Media. I thought it was a really, really smart um, idea in regards to content that was being produced multiple times a day and aggregated that was not only B2C, it was B2B. And I thought that was very interesting. And um, Fred knew that they were raising money, recommended that I go and put money into the company. And um, it was a great learning experience. A, it's been a great exit. B, I've made some really great friends out of that company. Um, you know, really. I mean, um, some really great people that are part of my life and I think will continue to be part of my life for a very long time. But um, I learned what it was like to be a board member and to be an investor. It's almost like when I was a chairman first of a nonprofit, I realized it can't be a dictatorship. I has to be a little bit more of a democracy to get everyone on board before I make decisions. Um, and I never operated like that before. And so I feel as a, um, a board member and a investor, I can't be a fixer. And someone said this to me yesterday, and I love it. I can't be a fixer, but I can help be a navigator. And I, I think that is a really mm -hmm. great term. And so that is really what I feel over the last, over the last decade I've become is being a mentor and hopefully a little bit of a role model to all the companies that I've put money into. And um, and some have taken full advantage of my 
you know, wanting to be there and wanting to be involved and always helpful. Others, not as much, um, which is fine. Um, but, um, you know, I've really enjoyed the ride. What would you say are the skills necessary to be a good board member? I think that you have to um, be a great cheerleader. And you have to um, be supportive. But you have to bring your history with you of where you know things have not worked and have worked. But I think at the end of the day, it is very important, until it isn't important, to um, uh, be respectful and um, believe in the founder and let them do what they think they need to do. You can give advice. You can turn them in different directions. But at the end of the day, if they succeed, everyone on that board thinks they are freaking genius. If they fail, it's always all on them. But I do think that we're seeing some companies that are blowing up because boards perhaps put way too much um, gas and expectations of what they needed to do on a monthly basis. As long as you spend money based on what you're making, that's okay. It's when you overspend and you're not, you know, I, oh, I hired 30 people. Oopsie, I matched my numbers by 50%. Then you're screwed, right? And so I, I think that it's important to be thoughtful about the clip of how quick these businesses should grow. And, um, and also they should be thoughtful about culture. And I think a lot of boards have ignored that and have turned a blind eye. Because if you look at the ROI on culture and gender-balanced companies, they do better. And, um, you know, I think boards have a, a role to play. Um, but I also think that they should be looking at what's going on behind closed doors. What do you think has to change um, for um, that sentiment to change, that, you know, more gender-balanced companies and culture really matters um, to the bottom line? Um, I mean, there's more movement and more change happening today than, than it used to be. Yeah. Uh, but w what is something that still drives you nuts where you're like, okay, this is, this is so obvious. There's two, three things that absolutely need to change. And why are they not changing faster? Um, you know, I always am vocal about that on our boards. You know, you're not moving quick enough. You're not moving quick enough, and that's why you're going to have a problem raising money in the next round. You know, don't get the product perfect. Make it excellent. Right, there's a big difference. Um, but in terms of culture and, and, and balance, you know, I'm very lucky. I mean, of course, I've majority of my companies are female founders, right? So, so diversity is important. Gender balance is important to them. And then majority of the males that I've invested in, I've seen a couple of them have issues where someone within that organization is a real bro and has been demeaning to women. And they get rid of them. And they've taken it to the board and say, I have a problem with an employee. This is not how we're going to do it. I'm documenting it. I'm getting rid of them as a C player. And so it's really great to see that because that bleeds through the culture. And I think that, um, you know, as, as, as a board member, if you see that the entire team is all male, you know, I bring it, bring it up. But why? What are you doing? Make sure the next person you hire is a female. It's that simple. And so, you know, one female isn't going to survive in a sea of men. So I think it's just little things that, um, besides the financials, the board should concentrate. And I also think having diversity in a board, right? 
I probably will not be the person that's going to drill down on every single penny. Just not something I enjoy doing as much. I can do it, but I'm more interested in the culture and hiring the marketing person and how are we looking at the next 18 months and where are we on these products? I mean, and so I think it's important to have on a board people that are asking and looking at different angles because it's like bringing, you know, a really great tennis match together in doubles, right? Everyone plays a different part. So you've invested now in almost a little bit above 100 companies, yeah. right, over the over those 10 years and um, majority is female, female-led, uh, female-founded. Um, do you do you know how many of those are first-time entrepreneurs? Because I think the you know, I was speaking to somebody yesterday where um, she started working for a first-time entrepreneur, and the uh, they were ramping up to launch day and it was all busy and, and a lot going on. And what was happening is that the founder was diving super deep into the detail um, and micromanaging uh, everything, yeah. and uh, and being a little um, doubtful, uh, like full of doubts about things happening. Um, which is, of course, not the the way it should be. Um, maybe a little bit too control driven. What do you see? Do you see a difference between how first time entrepreneurs operate and people who've done it before? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I, I hope I, I actually don't know the answer in regards to first time versus second or third time. I know some of them are second and thirds, um, but. Um, I do try to insert myself in since I am so early to help them get out of those weeds or have someone they can rely on. Um, you know, I had a founder that um, was a first-time entrepreneur. I remember there was an event. She didn't show up for it. She wanted to stay with the team till like midnight. And I said to her, wrong move. You would have gotten more out of that event. Let your team do what they do. You know, by standing there all the time, you're not letting these individuals fly. You're, you're, you're clipping their wings. Don't clip the wings in the company of the people you hired. At one point, you might decide, whoa, I am putting a leash on that one or get rid of them. But if people are given a long leash and the ability to fly in general, they're going to do right by you and right by the company. If I were to come to you with my idea or with my project how does Joanne Wilson invest in my company I want to see some traction I want to see the company have released a product um, traction being can you define people like it people are going to buy it yeah. you know people are interested in the product um, and so um, that's traction to me and um I really want to see someone on the other side of the table that I think no matter what comes at them, a tsunami of nonsense, they're going to figure out how to get through that wall and make it work. And that is really what I'm interested in, is people that no matter what comes at them, they are focused on success. It doesn't always work that way. I mean, I had a founder whose company just went under, and she was focused on success. Sometimes it doesn't work. You know, and that's okay, but um, I don't want to. I don't like to ha invest in people that I think are not scrappy and tenacious, and um, you know, see a big picture coming down the line. What are the typical mistakes that you see people in your hundred company portfolio do? 
hire the wrong people. Hire the wrong people. Go down a wrong road. Not turn quickly enough. Get off that road. Not cut their, you know, mistakes quickly enough. Um, hoping that the next day will be better than the day before. Uh, I think that is probably the biggest thing that people do. When you assess uh, investment opportunities, um, do you have a theme? Do you have a, a focus of sectors that you like, or how do you? What goes on in your mind when when you see? I don't know if the main inbound is emails, or if it's introductions or meetings that you do. What, what goes? How do you flow through the 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 sea of opportunities? I think it's a couple things. I think one is I've always been a great um, at seeing future. I mean purely DNA. My grandmother was like that too. I mean, weirdly. Predicting the future. Predicting the future. Seeing what's coming down um, in multiple places. So that's one. Um, two. Do you, how do you, do you, how do you, um, how do you nurture that? Is this something where you go, is this purely intuition and you follow it or is it, do you, do you go and learn and dive deep into different sectors to really see, okay, um, it's like a chess play. I can see. I can see the industry's moves or the sectors where it's moving. Like, do you study the sector? I think it's constant information and content that I'm constantly looking at. I also think that um, living in a concrete jungle, really, and traveling in concrete jungles, really gives you a nose if you're paying attention to what's coming down the pike. I think that's where the majority of ideas and changes and shifts happen. So I think that's very important. Um, and, you know, I, I think that um, I know what I don't like. I do try to look at things and say, wow, I've never seen anything in that area that is interesting. Or I like the way they're doing it. Um, and this is an industry that I think still has an opportunity to change next generation. So it's multiple things. I don't think there's anything in particular I'm like out there looking for. I just think if anything, there's things I don't want to look at. You are known to many as a an avid blogger, mm -hmm. and you have been for many years. Um, and you recently started a podcast. Yeah, talk us uh, talk a bit about that. Um, you know, I think one of the things that's great about being an investor is I get to spend time every day with super smart people. Um, and um, I started, when I started the Women's Entrepreneur Festival, one of the reasons was is that my co-founder said there's not enough women in tech. I was like, yes, there are. They just network differently. And so I started writing every Monday as part of my blog post, the Woman Entrepreneur of the Week. And honestly, it was the most difficult one to write. Um, funny enough, when I had a BlackBerry, you know, years ago, if I was meeting someone that was really interesting, I could easily pick up my phone and start like, doing a conversation with them can't do that so easily with the iPhone um, and so um, you know I'd be like I, who am I going to write about this week and then I'd have blurbs of like I met five women a week and I started writing about them and asking questions and I just sort of got burnt out on the whole thing and I stopped doing them but I enjoyed the conversations and so um, I was literally I was uh, hanging out with my daughter and I was like I, I gotta come up with something else like something else that's excite me I'm thinking maybe a podcast She's like, you should totally do a podcast. And then I emailed, um, I think I texted with Alex, who was somewhere else, it was on a weekend. I was like, what do you think about this? She's like, oh my God, I was just talking with Rachel, her girlfriend, about that. And I was like, great, we're all on the same page, let's do it. And that's really the impetus of the conversation. We, as a family, did a podcast 
back in the 90s. Positively 10th Street. Positively 10th Street. And so that's why I call it Positively Gotham and Gal. Um, podcasts obviously did not take off back then, um, but they're now big now because everyone walks around with a phone and, and, and earbuds. Yeah. Um, and what is something that you've learned in the process of moving from this uh, written series to the uh, more spoken word series? I think the great thing about speaking versus um, writing is, you know, the nuances of little tidbits that come out about people that tell you things comes out in a podcast. It's really hard to put those together to, in, in words unless you're a really great journalist, um, which is something that I completely respect and the importance of journalism today maybe more than any other time in the world is now. I mean, I pay for the Post, I, New York, um, the New York Times, I pay for the Los Angeles Times, I pay for the New Yorker. Like, I, I, I revere those journalists that really do some deep dives and you can find amazing things out. So, you know, I think in the podcast, um, you just learn things. And I've always been someone that people tell me things haven't necessarily told anyone else and so I think that that's what's interesting through these podcasts yeah it's a great format yeah um, if peop if you would point people to one episode your favorite episode so far uh, I know it's hard to pick it's hard to pick favorite it's children very, it's very favorite very investment yeah. favorite episode but if you want that that, um, that comes to mind that people should check out which one would you point people to um, God, it's such a tough one. People love the one on Food 52 with Amanda Hesser and uh, Meryl Stubbs. That was a great one. I think the one with Tammy uh, Foreman from Path Forward was really great. Um, you know, there's others. I love the one I did with Alex where she turned the tables on me and she interviewed me. That was super fun. Um, you know, it's hard. Um, it's really hard to pick. They're all so different. Yeah, I've listened to all of them and I can recommend to just subscribe to the podcast and listen to it. <laughs> Uh, we're moving to a, uh, a series of random questions as well. Um, okay. So this podcast is called, and a series is called Role Models. Mm -hmm. um, who's your role, role model? It's, you know, I knew you were going to ask that, obviously. But the funny thing is, is that I'm asked that a lot. And I wish I had an answer. You know, I usually say my husband. Um, because I think we've we've been together a long time. But 36 years or whatever, 37 years. And um, we're a real partnership on so many levels. Um, and, you know, I think that a lot of the way that I do business, whereas when I was younger, I was absolutely a bull in the china shop. Um, and he'll tell you, when he was 20 years old, he'd never met anyone else who was as driven, as confident as I was, which was a great thing for him. Whereas I loved how he got things done in a way that he would be, if it took him two years to get it done, nobody at the meeting would even know that it was his idea, but he eventually gets everything he needs to get done. And I think that is a tremendous skill. So I've really learned from him in regards to a role model. Um, but that's really it. I mean, I think that one of the things, and I, I literally was talking about this last night with Fred, is that... I did forge my own path in regards to the life I've created around investing and everything else I do that has given me complete entrepreneurial freedom, real entrepreneurial freedom, because no one, I mean, Alex works with me, but that's it. And um, there was no role model to follow that path. 
Um, and so, or mentor to help me do that. So I've sort of done that solo. And um, I love that I've been a, a mentor and a role model to others behind me because I really never had anyone in front of me. You have three children. What? How did it describe you? <laughs> um, that's a great question. Um, I have a great relationship with all three of them. Um, my son would call me the rock. Um, you know, I think that they would describe me as a incredibly liberal, very supportive um, role model and mentor that they can rely on that will give advice but not tell them what to do. And I think we've let all of them um, find their own paths. What is, um, I mean, you have two daughters, we have three children, two daughters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they grow up in a business world or in a world that is very different than the one you grew up. What is the advice you give them? Follow your dreams. Follow what you want to do. You got to get up every day. You're going to live to be 100. Um, you want to get off the road for a while, get off. You want to get back on, get on. But do what you love to do. I mean, you know, for our children, the reality is is that they don't really need to worry about making financially. They don't need to worry about things. And that takes a tremendous weight off of your shoulder. Um, they're all extremely driven and they're all extremely competitive and they will find their own. Um, but to not have to have that burden of um, making rent really has been a gift, um, which, you know, I'm thrilled that we could give. And so, you know, we have three kids doing very different things with their lives um, at the top of their game um, and very intuitive They sat around a kitchen table that had a lot of conversations about a lot of things with tremendous trust and complete acceptance of them as individuals from the time they were tiny, that their opinion mattered and their opinion was one to think about. And so I think that has been um, allowed them to follow their own journey and, um, and their own convic convictions. Where do you go for advice? <laughs> Um, I have some good girlfriends that I certainly talk to um, you know probably my husband more than anyone else you know I'm um, super tight with my uh, brother and sister and my sister-in-law so they're part of my life um, and the truth is I ask my kids for advice too I really trust all three of them I think they're all really really smart and very um mature in their thinking for kids of their age and um, I trust them I mean I just gave a, a TED talk and um, Alex looked at it and wrote a lot of stuff I wrote a lot of stuff and um, I was with Jessica on a plane and she edited the entire thing and that was her finishing is exactly what I did you know and she did a great job and the way she pulled things around I would have never thought about and um, so I totally you know I, I trust them. For listeners who uh, are maybe a little bit earlier in the career and they feel stuck, what advice do you have for them? You know, I think my advice is take time to breathe, talk to a lot of people, but particularly people who are just getting out of school, 
find the path you want to be on. Find the industry. If you want to be in music, just wait till you get a job in music. It doesn't matter where, but get your foot in the door in music, right? If you get your foot in fashion, it's going to be really hard to move into music. I mean, it just is. Um, very few people will hire people only on their skill sets. And so I think it is really important to follow what rocks your boat. What um, advice would you give your 14-year-old self? You know, I've been thinking a lot about my childhood these days. And I think if I could have given myself advice at 14, I would have said, um, read more books. Um, do things that are more in the liberal arts space because that will expand your mind and force you to think differently because you're taking in all this information in different ways. I think that my, my trajectory was more about going to a trade school and finishing and making money and getting out and being on my own that I wished that I was given the opportunity to, you know, go see an opera, you know, read a really incredible books where I could have conversations with them. You know, I look back at my college. I mean, some of my favorite classes, and I only took a few of them, were around literature. Um, and I'm sorry I didn't take more of that kind of stuff. So I think to my 14-year-old self, you know, I think I was always curious in tons of stuff. So, like, I did macrame, knitting, crocheting, needlepoint. I read tons of books by myself. You know, I had a little business. I did all of these different things, um, which was great um, because I was super curious and, um, and driven. But I think if I look back, it would have been to create deeper friendships and, um, and just to continue to be super curious. What would you want to be known for? Hmm. Well, I hope that I have made, that everyone I've put money into and have touched feels like I was helpful to them in their journey, um, that I, I made a difference in their lives, um, and that my, um, could it be handing, holding a hand or giving advice or whatever it is, that I was, um, I was there. Um, and, um, you know, I think that's important to me. Um, and I enjoy it. But um, at the end of the day, I'd probably just wanted to be known as I was a, I was a great mom. I was a good friend. And I was a, um, a great person to have in their company. Joanne, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Hey. Thanks for listening. Before you go, here's a few more things. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the Role Models Podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and your favorite podcasting app. If you'd like to support, please rate this podcast on iTunes and post a review. This will help other listeners like you find this podcast. And if you have any feedback for us or suggestions for who you want to have on the show, please let us know and reach out on Twitter at Role Models. Thanks. Thanks.